Caution, you are about to enter the workers' compensation zone. Welcome to the July 8th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Bob Nichols, with Senior Trial Attorney with Floyd, Skerrin and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. In our talking points, you're going to receive a lot of information of significant interest. So let's get started with our fraud report, a particularly fond subject for me. A 52-year-old Monterey County woman was sentenced to three years probation and 90 days in jail for making a false workers' compensation claim. Uh, Emma Pantoja pleaded guilty after claiming for three years she extensively damaged her wrist while working at Scheid Vineyards. Over the course of several years, Pantoja was examined by a number of doctors and testified under oath concerning her physical limitations. How many times have you seen this? In 2010, Pantoja told doctors she had not driven since her injury, but video surveillance, aha, captured her engaged in activities inconsistent with her testimony. Over the course of the years, Zenith Insurance Company paid about $16,000 for her medical care, and prior to sentencing, she paid full restitution. Another example of fraud is 47-year-old Fernando Rodriguez of Salinas has admitted that he failed to secure workers' compensation insurance for employees, which is a criminal offense in violation of the labor code. Rodriguez, who owns a Zavala's transmission in Salinas, was sentenced and placed on probation. Prosecutors said investigators contacted Rodriguez in February during a comp compliance check on employers who were suspected of not having workers' compensation insurance for their employees. In addition, Rodriguez was not registered as an employee with California's Employment Development Department and did not have a Salinas business license and was operating as an unregistered auto repair shop. Now, prior to his court plea, Rodriguez obtained all of the necessary licenses, registered with EDD, and obtained workers' compensation insurance. He was placed on misdemeanor probation for a period of three years. Along with standing terms, standard rather, terms and conditions of probation, he was ordered to serve one day in Monterey County Jail and pay a substantial fine. Now let's go to regulatory dues. The expiration excuse me, of six sets of emergency regulations that implemented major reform provisions of Senate Bill 863 has been extended for an additional 60 days, while the DWC finished adoption of permanent regulations. Now, temporary regulations are in effect that govern supplemental job displacement benefit vouchers, interpreter services, qualified medical evaluator regulations, independent medical evaluator review, independent bill review, and lien filing fees. The emergency regulations, which were initially approved on January 1st, will remain in effect until October 1st, unless another 90-day readoption is requested by the DWC. Interesting. The DWC will continue to keep the public informed regarding its progress with its regu ongoing regulatory process. Uh, this month, the DWC will begin requiring lien claimants to use a uniform assigned name or UAN. This is a uniform naming convention which ensures that parties are properly associated to cases in EAMS and is currently used by attorneys, claims administrators, and others. A lien claimant must use a UAN when 
electronically filing a notice and request for allowance of lien, an application for adjudication of claim, an application or their attempt to do so will result in failure. This requirement will extend to OCR filed documents. Most e-form filers already use a quasi-UAN to access their DWC cases filed in EAMS and aid them in paying lien filing and activation fees. The quasi-UANs will convert to mandatory UANs automatically. However, it is advised that e-form filers check on the UAN registry page to ensure that their UANs have been properly converted. Lien claimants that do not have a UAN or do not recall their UAN should contact the DWC Central Registration Unit. A third 15-day notice of modifications to the Supplemental Job Displacement Benefit regulations has been distributed to interested parties and posted on to the DWC website. Members of the public are invited to present written comments regarding the proposed modifications by July 18th. One of the proposed modifications allow injured workers to submit written bids from a computer retailer to obtain payments for the purchase of computer equipment if they do not have the funds to purchase the equipment up front. If the injured worker receives funds based upon submission of a written bid, the injured worker will be required to submit receipts. Good idea. Failure to submit a receipt will result in a $1,000 deduction from the total amount allowable by the voucher. I think that's a good proposition. A separate request for purchase of computer equipment was added to the form. Now the notice text of the regulations and forms can be found in proposed regulations page. And in medical news, this one you're gonna love. A new workers' compensation research study says that prices paid for common hospital outpatient shoulder and knee surgeries vary greatly depending on whether the treatments are paid for through workers' compensation or an employer-sponsored group health plan. Some of you probably did not know that. In most of the 16 states examined by the Institute, which include California workers' compensation plans, paid more, something a lot more, sometimes a lot more actually. The payments represent 60% of the workers' compensation benefits paid in the United States. The amounts paid to healthcare providers on workers' compensation claims are often regulated by the states. But in some states, the payments are not regulated, but rather are negotiated between the insurers and the healthcare providers. Five states are classified in the report as unregulated or no fee schedule states. In three of those states, Iowa, New Jersey, and Virginia, the workers' compensation treatment costs were exceptionally high. In Massachusetts and California, which have established fixed payment amounts that hospitals can charge in workers' compensation cases, the payments were actually lower than payments made through group health insurance. Now, in financial news, and this is going to be really interesting, the state fund will begin issuing $100 million in dividend payments to eligible policyholders in early June. $100 million. Eligible policyholders will receive approximately 10% of their 2012 annual premium. Uh, now, Tom Rowe, state fund president and CEO, stated 
that the, uh, the dividend is a direct result of sound investment returns and improved efficiencies at the state fund. Last year, the state fund declared a $50 million dividend. Since its inception in 1914, State Fund has paid more than $5 billion in dividends to policyholders. This is a record unparalleled among all California workers' compensation insurance carriers. State Fund's annual financial report for 2012 showed a significant increase in net income. Income before dividends totaled $450 million. I almost slipped and said, which was $279 million more than the prior year. The report also indicates that State Fund reduced annual fixed expenses by $150 million and expects to achieve annual savings of more than $300 million by the end of 2014. State Fund also announced a rate reduction of 7% March 1st, 2013. It maintained a balanced investment portfolio that was focused on both credit quality and investment yield. Reports are surfacing in the industry that SB 863 lien provisions seem to be reducing costs. Employers Insurance, a monoline workers' compensation care that conducts more than 60% of its business in California, says that the lien fees are already easing the company's losses. Christina Ozuna, Vice President of Claims for the Western Region, said it's too soon yet to provide estimates on how much cost savings there will be. But she said they will be significant cost savings. Those savings should continue due to the January N-Bank decision in the case of Figueroa versus BC Daring Company. That the WCAB ruled in that case, the lien activation fee must be paid prior to the commencement of a lien conference, and if the lien claimant fails to pay, its lien must be dismissed with prejudice. With prejudice, not without prejudice. Ozuna said that she now expects to see many liens fall out of the system. However, some people are still poking at the loopholes in the system. All right? Instead of lien claims, many copy services and interpreting agencies have acted to avoid the fees by instead filing petitions for costs. Interesting. Their argument is they are not medical providers and are not trying to provide a claim for costs in the form of a lien. Estelle Freeman, claim supervisor for Carl Warren and Company in Tustin, said she, was she has noticed a lot more lien claimants trying to aggressively settle their liens before the case goes to a hearing. About time, according to the WCIRB's actuarial committee, there was a sharp increase in lien filings in the fourth quarter of 2012 in anticipation of new lien filings and activation fees. Citing Department of Workers' Compensation data, WCIRB notes that nearly 1.2 million liens were filed in 2012 compared with less than 500,211. Now that's all our news for the week, and we please check our website for daily news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the, quote, Workop Academy, end quote, with your podcast software. 
Again, I'm Bob Nichols, a senior trial attorney with Floyd, Scarron & Kelly. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Drive, and drop by again next week for more news. Have a good day.